Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for October 17th. I'm your host, Brandi Carroll. On this week's edition, we have an interview with Jackson County farmer Tommy Young about a successful effort to address road challenges that were hindering farmers transporting crops and equipment in his area. We also talked to an executive of Cotton Incorporated about a recent industry visit to Arkansas, and we discuss Farm to School Month in the state. First up, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Keith Sutton sat down with farmer Tommy Young of Tuckerman, a member of the 2019 Northeast District Farm Family of the Year, who describes how he and others in his area were able to address a problematic road weight designation that was causing trouble for farmers in the region. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and today I'm in Tuckerman in Jackson County, with uh, Tommy Young, who's the uh, former chairman of Jackson County Farm Bureau and who's a justice of the peace in this district. Tommy, welcome to AgCast. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, uh, today we want to talk a little bit about highways and Farm Bureau. I know uh, you've been working for several years now on a project that had a big effect not only on farmers but on a lot of businesses in this county particularly around tuckerman and grubs and uh to help our uh, listeners understand let's kind of start at the beginning of the story and explain to them uh what's happened the past couple of years be happy to uh about a year ago it was brought to our attention by a man by the name of josh lofton that he was stopped on the highway with his tractor-trailer truck with a load of, of grain coming from Grubbs area to the Tuckerman Riceland Foods. And when they stopped him, uh, they said that uh, he was not in compliance with the weight restriction that was on the road. And the road we're talking about is State Highway 37, which connects the Tuckerman to the divided highway 67 and it also connects Tuckerman to Grubbs and then Grubbs is connected to divided highway 67 by this 37 highway as well. <clears throat> Tommy, let me explain this to help people know where we are because some sure. people may not know where Tuckerman is. I just drove in from Little Rock in between Bald Knob and the Jonesboro exit on highway 67. As you're getting close to that Jonesboro exit, that's where Highway 37 exits, and you can see a sign for Tuckerman. That is correct. Uh, what this highway was, was just a basic state highway, and old Highway 67 came through Tuckerman initially, and that's how heavyweight trucks accessed our city. Well, when they built the new highway about 10 years ago, they opened it. And at that very moment when they opened that highway, it made traveling on Highway 37 from the Grubbs area to Tuckerman illegal. Because the law states that you have to access highway, uh, the, the most heavyweight highway immediately once you get to it 
And so they no longer could travel this road, which prior to that new highway being opened, they could legally travel it because the nearest heavyweight road was at Tuckerman, and that's where they were trying to get to. <clears throat> so to make a long story short, we've been plagued for about nine years of not being able to take grain back and forth along this highway without the fear of being, uh, I guess you'd say, sighted. And Josh Lofton brought this to the attention of the Jackson County Farm Bureau during my tenure as president. And when he brought that forth, I kind of thought about it and I thought my role as a Tuckerman resident, my role as a JP and my role there as president, I wonder if the Jackson County Farm Bureau might could utilize this as a project to see if we could do some good for the man and the rest of the area. And so with that said, I asked the board for permission if we could pursue this as a project. And on November 15, 2017, uh, the board approved that this would be an official project and we would strive to see if we could get this problem alleviated. And so, as I said earlier, our problems began October the 15th, 2009, with the opening of the divided highway. And once we identified that the area that was the problem existed, what we did at that point was we thought, how can we bring the attention to this and what steps do we need to take? So the first thing we thought we needed to do and the first thing that I did was contacted my local engineer in Batesville by the his name is Bruce Street and he is the regional Arkansas Highway Department engineer. He recommended that I talk to the highway commissioner and our local commissioner is Alec Farmer. And so we thought what we need to do then is have a meeting. <clears throat> And so in order to have this meeting that we wanted to do to bring attention to all this and identify the problem, we wanted to make it to be a first class meeting. We wanted Farm Bureau to sponsor it and put all of the Farm Bureau resources behind it, plus other people in the area's resources to let them know that this was serious. It's not just a... Um, minor issue it's a regional problem that we faced here and it was caused by something that the state did inadvertently it's not like that they really realized that they caused the problem but they did and so we sent out letters to all of the commissioners we sent out letters to the judges the mayors to our congressional representation and we said we were going to have a meeting last October. Prior to that, we went to the quorum court, to both city councils, Tuckerman and Grubbs, to Riceland Foods, to Farmer Supply Association, even the historical societies, everyone that we felt like was affected and asked them to prepare a resolution that they were in support of removing or investigating the idea of removing the weight restriction on highways 37. <clears throat> At the time, 
we thought that there was a bridge that would have to be replaced. And uh, that was going to be our biggest limiting factor, we thought, was getting this bridge replaced across Village Creek. And come to find out, this bridge met standard. So we thought, well, that's a big hurdle because getting bridges replaced and getting bypasses around is a big hurdle to cross trying to get a road uh, unrestricted. But you found out that wasn't the case, so that really maybe kind of shortened the timeline to see something begin. Correct. Well, we've jumped our guns here, but we had this meeting, and this meeting was, like I said, last October, I think the 18th. And I think that, and I believe that when the commissioner showed up and uh, certain people showed up, they thought we were just going to sit around the table and talk about the road. They didn't realize when they walked into the room that there was 75 people there with a tremendous amount of understanding of the problem. And a lot of these people were concerned uh, I guess you'd say political uh, people that had an interest in getting this resolved. And so we had a good meeting and this meeting is, was recorded. It was, um, we used some, I guess you'd say some off the wall ideas to present our point. <clears throat> One of them, and I'm very proud to say I used one of my employees, one of our tractor trailer trucks, and a ball named Wilson. And we got in that truck and we started from Newport traveling north on divided highway 67. And he pretended to be talking to Wilson the ball while I recorded him. And we told uh, the story that there is no named access or exit to Tuckerman that a heavyweight 80,000 pound loaded truck can get off on legally. It wasn't posted in Newport, exit here for Tuckerman. When you did receive or get to the Highway 37 exit, the moment you exited off, you was immediately hit with a large sign that said, this is a low weight road, so you had to back up or turn around. And then when you went further north and got on Highway 226, which they've now made heavyweight, nothing was said at all about this is the way to get to Tuckerman. So Tuckerman, for the past nine years, 10 years, <clears throat> has been alienated. It's been bypassed with no access, and same for Grubbs. And so what this video did was make it clear and apparent that something had to be done that the weight restriction had to be removed and then there needed to be a clear access for heavyweight trucks to come to Tuckerman, Arkansas. And so when they left, we gave them the, the ball, the Wilson ball, and everyone in the room signed it and I have that in my possession. Now it's gonna go into our Tuckerman library as a keepsake. But I will say that what that meeting did was let them know that we meant business. Farm Bureau had some clout there and it let them know that this was not just something that needed to be uh, 
shoved under the rug. And it certainly doesn't. It's a very serious issue for a lot of people, particularly people who are in agricultural businesses, including our area farmers, and it's been going on for an entire decade. So y'all were serious for serious reasons. I'll say that I guess people thought it's just the way it was going to be, but there wasn't really a solution to be had. But by raising the weight limit on this road, what it's doing is making it to where trucks can travel freely both into Tuckerman and then grain can travel freely out of Tuckerman. Then also the inputs that it takes to put a crop in the ground can travel freely on this road in the springtime being shipped into the local Farmer Supply Association, which meant, which produces them, and Wagster Ag, which uses them. So by inputs, for people who might not be farmers, you're talking about things like fertilizer, uh, chemicals that have to be used, and so forth, right? Tankered loads of diesel fuel. Not to mention that there's a local lumber company here that they have loads of lumber that comes in and they plane that lumber and create fine lumber to leave. It has a way to get in and out now. Also, there's various quick marts and service stations in the town that have to have be supplied by heavy trucks bringing in tanker loads of fuel. The school, and I thought this was really funny. We've got a curve on this road that's a 90 degree curve. And keep in mind, this road was built back in the late 30s, early 40s. Back then, tractor trailer trucks weren't very long and what few there were. And most all the grain that was hauled then was done with a bob truck. And so going around a 90 degree curve on a two lane road wasn't very difficult. Well, that became apparent and we did some video, some drone work on this particular curve and it showed that it's impossible to go around this curve without the tractor trailer's trailer getting into the other lane. It's impossible. And so we made that apparent at the meeting and then we had the local uh, principal here who drives a school bus. He said, Tommy, he said, you think this is, I'm kidding, but he said, our school buses are so long now that we can't even go around this curve without our school bus gets into the other lane. And I thought that was kind of funny. So we made it clear at our meeting what needed to be done, in our opinion, as, as people, not in the engineering side, but in apparent problems. That was number one, we thought at that time that the bridge would have to be upgraded. We knew that the road would have to be overlaid to hold 80,000 pounds. And then this 90 degree curve needed to be straightened out to a 45 degree curve. And so that was what we left the meeting with the commissioner and the engineer to take back. Then we didn't stop there. We followed up with a perfectly organized video and DVD and um, thumb drive of our entire meeting with captions, 
So anyone that picked that up could watch this. It lasted about 40 minutes. They would understand what our problem was. We sent that to every highway commissioner. We sent that to the state highway director. We sent it to the governor's office. We sent it to everyone that we thought was pertinent to need to know this information. And Farm Bureau backed it all the way. We even passed a resolution at the state uh, convention last year pertaining to roads and this type of a project that they needed to be upgraded to where that would be, we've got the full force of the State Farm Bureau backing these type of projects. We didn't have an idea how long this would take, but we did know that we had raised the flag. Well, we were hoping that something would happen soon and our main objective was to get the signs removed but we thought it might take years. <clears throat> and so we worked uh, with the uh, continued sending letters and we was getting responses. And then our district engineer contacted the judge, Jackson County Judge Jeff Phillips and Scott Bennett, who is the state highway director and I think this is a very important aspect of this entire project that needs to be uh, explained and it might be a model for other areas that want to do things. In the past, there were certain highways in our county that were turned from county roads into state highways. Some of these were dead ends. Some of these roads were uh, roads that just stopped. They were not thoroughfares. And so Scott Bennett and his uh, associates came up with a plan and said, Judge Phillips, Jackson County Judge, if you would take back 10 miles of certain roads in your possession that's now state, we might be able to do this project faster. And the judge approached me and we talked and, and he said, uh, they've got a list of roads that, and I have my choice of which roads I want to take back. And so we picked certain roads that were what I would refer to as not thoroughfares, but dead ends, those type of roads that if the county did take them back and they improved roads, they're paved roads, it wouldn't be a detriment for us financially. They also agreed and said, if we take these roads back, the state is going to bring them up to standard before they give them back to the county. That way you won't have an immediate financial burden on the county for maintaining them. They said, we'll fix culverts, we will uh, chip seal them, whatever they need, we'll make them right. If you will agree to take this back, then this will make this project come to the top of the pile in Little Rock. The judge presented that to the full quorum court. We picked out roads that we thought were good, and then we moved forward with the project. And so after doing that, it made the project come to light quicker. So 
as time progressed, about a month ago or two months ago, we noticed that they were starting to improve these roads that we were going to take back, get them up to spec. And we thought, this is really going to happen. This is really going to happen. Then some surveyors showed up out at the 90 degree curve and started surveying the curve to see how much property they needed to acquire to, to make that. It's also been determined by a new uh, bridge examination that the bridge that we thought was inadequate is adequate for the support of 80,000 pound trucks. And so after that took place and the judge presented that to the full quorum court, full quorum court said, yes, we will do that in cooperation with uh, the state. The city of Turkerman took back 1.8 miles of road in the city to give their contribution to help create the curve, straightening the curve. And so we had a co cooperation between the state, the county, and the city to do this project. And I attribute Farm Bureau as the one that made all this kind of come to place. And what I think made it happen is we got all of the wheels that needed to be turning, turning at the same time. We had all the wheels in the, going on the same track in the same direction, and they were all greased that it needed to be done quickly. So to me, this is, in my opinion, what Farm Bureau is about. What this does, it takes a lone member coming forth one day and saying, hey guys, this happened to me. Can we do anything about it? And we took that one sentence that he had and it mushroomed into a thing that actually we didn't know we thought was minute but was really affecting a region of people, a region in the area between the cities of Grubbs, Arkansas, and Tuckerman, Arkansas, and all in between, because now what we've done is increased the weight limit on this road between those two, and that whole region now, if it needed to, can flourish. Uh, there's no restriction on what can be built there because they have access, and, uh, I, I think, in my opinion, this is what Farm Bureau is all about. It absolutely shows what Farm Bureau can do if it has the right leadership and has the right backing to make things like this happen. So it's the very best of Farm Bureau's grassroots organization, bottom-up, members coming and bringing their problems. So... The County Farm Bureau can uh, start by addressing it. And this one involved the cooperation of city, county, state, all working together to make it happen. Do, do you anticipate, Tommy, that uh, in the Delta, which is where we are, and this is a an area of our state that uh, these types of problems are very serious for people that live in this part of the state and work. Do you anticipate that 
if somebody wanted to and they're seeing similar issues, they could do the same thing. That's really why you wanted us to bring this uh, out in this podcast so people can understand how your group here in Jackson County work together so maybe it could happen elsewhere as well, right? Absolutely. I, I think the main thing I'd like to get across to the uh, viewers and the listeners is the fact that we weren't adversarial. We weren't combative. We didn't come forth with hatchets and, and knives uh, wielding them. Let's get this done, whatever. We came forth with a plan, clearly demonstrated our problem, clearly made it understood what the problem was, because I think it's funny, and I have to tell this, and his name escapes me, but the state chief of the highway police came with Scott Bennett when we had the meeting. And I know in his mind what he thought when he walked in was we was going to bash the highway police. He thought we were going to say, why are you stopping our trucks? Why are you why are you doing this? I mean, get off our backs. We're trying to get our crop out. We've got to beat weather. We've got to do all these things. And we point blank told him in the meeting, and it's documented. We appreciate the work that you do. We understand that you're trying to preserve the assets of the state. You're trying to preserve the roads, the integrity of those roads. What we're telling you is that what the state did here in building this divided highway, it made it to where farmers now, instead of going 12 miles, they're going 32 miles around to do the same thing they were doing prior to the very day that this road was open. And what we need to understand is that we need to have a solution to this. Tuckerman inadvertently had no driveway. There was no driveway into town. And so the highway police chief was there and he said, you know, we explained to him the law as we stood it, understood it. And he nodded his head. Yes, you're exactly right. You have been, and he agreed. And I think that's what helped the most. But we did not, and I think I want to tell this to viewers out there that are trying to do projects, don't come come to some kind of a problem and throw a pie in someone's face and expect it to get done. Come with it with your facts in hand. Do it professionally. Know your boundaries on how to deal with these people and make them understand. And I think you will get good response from them. There is none of these people who are all excited that this has happened. And I'll say that the other day, I was honored to be able to, the district engineer called me and he said, Tommy, they're gonna take the signs down in Tuckerman. They're gonna start in Tuckerman and go all the way to Grubbs and take the low weight signs down. And I asked him if I could have one. He, he hadn't gave me one back yet, but nonetheless, he said, if you want to be there, and I said, oh, I'd be delighted to be there. And so myself, the mayor, the judge, uh, Dwight Tosh, Representative Tosh, and uh, other people in the community that were 
wanting this to happen. We all showed up at the sign and we got our picture made and we took a video of the sign actually falling on the ground. And so to sum up, in my opinion, we feel like that our project now is come to an end from the standpoint of it's going to happen. Uh, and so I think that anyone out there in, in that hears this in your area, be realistic. This highway was more important now than having that three mile stretch that went to nowhere in this day. 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when that was done, that might have been important then, but times change. And so make changes with the times. Tommy, we appreciate you sharing this story with us. So uh, maybe it'll provide a sterling example for other farm bureaus in uh, bringing forward resolutions to accomplish things in their areas too. Thank you for taking the time this morning to tell us all this. Well, Keith, thank you for coming all the way up here to interview me about it. Uh, I think Farm Bureau is a grand organization. I think the structure, the way Farm Bureau is 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 built grassroots is what makes us so strong and every person if they utilize these steps can be heard no matter what the issue thank you for your leadership and uh congratulations on a job well done on this situation thank you sir next ken moore talks to mark masura senior vice president of global supply chain marketing for cotton incorporated about a recent visit by cotton marketers retailers and industry leaders to arkansas to meet with farmers and learn about cotton production firsthand i'm ken moore today at the lawn man cotton research station over in mariana and i'm uh, participating and and following along on a tour of cotton industry officials from all over the country that have made their way here to Arkansas this week to learn more about how cotton is produced. I'm speaking right now with Mr. Mark Masura. Mark is the Senior Vice President of Global Supply Chain Marketing for Cotton Incorporated out of North Carolina. And Mark, thanks for taking just a few minutes to visit with me. You're kind of leading this tour group. Tell me, this is not your first time to come to Arkansas. How many of these tours have you uh, conducted here in Arkansas, and uh, what's the purpose of it? Well, Ken, uh, we've been coming to Arkansas for years, many, many years. And the purpose is to go to the customers of cotton, the retailers, the brands, the manufacturers, all of those people and companies who have a choice between using cotton and something else. And we want to make sure they understand cotton, how it's grown, and that they have confidence in what our farmers are doing so that they'll choose cotton over synthetic fibers in the products that they're making and selling. So these farm tours are really important in educating the customers of cotton. And really, Arkansas has been a great place for us to come and do this. The farm families who are engaged in cotton production here, the Ag Extension Service, researchers uh, who are, are really world-class, they're all right here. So this is a great place for us to bring these leaders from retailers, brands, and manufacturers from all over the United States yeah, and tell me uh, a little bit about more of the people who are here. How many are participating in the tour uh, this week, and what all are you seeing? Well, each year we bring uh, somewhere between 60 to 70 people. And we do that because we want to make sure that we've got uh, a large enough group 
so that we can bring in a lot of companies, but a small enough group so that we have the ability to let these folks interact directly with the cotton farmers and the researchers. And that's really the beauty of this program. You can read about cotton, you can hear about it, but there's nothing like coming to a cotton farm in Arkansas, talking to the producer, talking to the farm family, seeing how it's really done, walking in that field, meeting the extension agents and the other experts and specialists that do so much to make this really world-class cotton production. So we keep that number at about 65 to get that direct interaction. And, and the people who come on this tour love that. They love the ability to speak directly with the growers, meet the families, talk to the researchers and the extension agents. Uh, it's such an effective way for us to have these downstream customers learn about their most important ingredient, cotton. And no question. I'm looking at the list of some, just a few of the participants here. Uh, some come from California. I heard that some are from New York City that are down here in addition to your office there in North Carolina. Uh, I see one jeanswear group is represented, uh, the PVH Corporation, North Face. We're familiar with that company, uh, J. Crew, Calvin Klein. So they're representing the producers of the clothing lines that uh, we're all so familiar with. They're absolutely representing those companies. And what cotton farmers in Arkansas need to know is that all of those names and many other retailers and brands that are on this yeah. tour represent tens of millions of products mm -hmm. that are brought to the market every year. And that is literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of bales of cotton. So this is definitely a huge customer base. Those are the names and brands that consumers see in the store. But behind each one of those are decisions about using cotton. And that affects directly the demand for cotton. So it's really a special opportunity to bring all of these folks here to Arkansas and have them see firsthand how this cotton is grown. Many of them market their own products uh, and, and from their offices uh, in California, New York, or, or North Carolina, like you do there with Cotton Incorporated. But they're not from farm families. And so many consumers are becoming more and more disassociated with the production of our food and fiber. Uh, I'm looking at a cotton plant right here at the research station. Uh, it used to be, you used to see a sea of white all over the south years and years ago uh, because of market prices. Uh, the acreage in Arkansas, even right here, declined to, uh, to where we just had a little over 100,000 acres. We used to grow more than a million acres of cotton at one time when the price was right. It's rebounded this year. We're growing a little bit more. But to talk about the needs from your perspective with Cotton Incorporated, the issues that are most important to maintaining the sustainability of this industry. Well, there are really two things. There's the work that's done at the farm. And as we like to tell the downstream industry, the retailers, the brands, and the manufacturers, uh, there's no better cotton produced in the world, no more responsibly and sustainably produced cotton than right here in the United States. But it's not enough to tell them that. They have to come here and see that. So, so we have to get to, to these retailers and brands because they're after an understanding of this word that all of us now see in the industry, sustainability. And what it really means is, are we doing the right thing for the right reasons and in the best way possible? So bringing these retailers and brands here to see the, the way farmers and researchers are supporting cotton and using best practices this is tremendously powerful for us to make the case as to why they need to use cotton.
But they also get to see something else. They get to see the challenges of sustainability in an ag community, in, in the small towns and, and among the producer families across the state, and what it takes and what families contribute to really make agriculture and cotton farms a successful endeavor. Sustainability is not a given for farm families. It's really challenging. And a lot of these retailers and brands go away not only understanding the farm practices, but they go away with a true appreciation for the, the challenge of being a sustainable farming business and a household uh, that's engaged in agriculture. So we also see very much that they go away understanding that challenge, and that's really important to try and communicate some of the challenges of American agriculture to these downstream companies who are, who are users of the product, cotton, but don't necessarily always fully understand what all the farm families are going through to produce this product. Mark, I remember when I was a, a boy, uh, grew up in Arkansas here, we used to have a Levi Strauss plant just right outside of Little Rock making the blue jeans that I grew up wearing and that we all wore. Uh, and the cotton shirts, those were produced right here, if not in Arkansas, right here in, in the United States, made in the USA. A lot of our fiber is now exported out and it's produced out of the country. Uh, and so we don't, that Levi plant uh, shut down some time ago. From your perspective with Cotton Incorporated, uh, what are you doing to help market uh, the products that we all wear and that we all want to, you know, purchase the blue jeans, the, the cotton shirts and and slacks and stuff that we have to, to keep this industry viable? Well, one of the things we have to understand about cotton is it's a global commodity. And the primary competition for cotton really isn't other cotton-producing countries. It's other fibers. So when you go and you purchase clothing and home textiles, you've got to look at those labels and make sure you're, you're, you're buying cotton and you're, and you're sourcing cotton. That's especially true for our farm and agriculture families. Make sure you're, you're supporting your product. And what we're doing at Cotton Incorporated is making sure that wherever the factories are, if they're nearby or if they're in the United States or all the way around the world, we want those factories using cotton. And if they can use the best, most responsibly produced cotton in the world, and that's right here in the U.S., then that's what we want to see. So some of the factories aren't here the way they were 20 years ago. But we're producing more cotton than we did 20 years ago, and we are the number one supplier to the world. And the world loves U.S. cotton. So our farmers need to, need to keep growing the best cotton possible, and we'll continue to work to market that cotton wherever the factories are, wherever the retailers and brands are. We're going we're gonna to create an opportunity for cotton. As we wrap this up here today, uh, and I know we've got to continue with the tour here in just a moment, uh, what's one final word you'd like to share with our listeners to this uh, conversation uh, from your perspective? We appreciate what you're doing to help take the fiber that's produced right here in Arkansas. In fact, uh, our State Farm Bureau president, has uh, he loves to say, he's from Mississippi County up north of here, uh, and he loves to say it at one time. I don't know if it's still the truth or not, but there was more cotton produced per capita in that one county, in Mississippi County, Arkansas, than anywhere else in the country because it used to be the number one commodity up there in northeast Arkansas. And uh, it may not be now, but uh, it's still big. It's still huge in this part of the state. But as we wrap this up, what's one word you'd like to share that you want our listeners and consumers to know? Pride. 
American cotton growers and the farmers right here in Arkansas should be so tremendously proud of the efforts they've made to be the best, most efficient, most responsible, most sustainable cotton producers anywhere in the world. And they should have that pride. And I know at Cotton Incorporated, when we go out and we build markets for cotton, it's very easy for us to do that because we have the best product. And we take a lot of pride in what the growers are doing. And the growers right here in Arkansas have been tremendously helpful through programs like these farm tours in helping us show off what we do the best and taking pride in, in delivering the best cotton to the world market. That's awesome. And I just thought that uh, one of our young men uh, that we're so very proud of, Mr. Nathan Reed, is a member of your board of directors, I believe, uh, with the Cotton Incorporated Board. And, uh, and, and he and his late father, Stanley Reed, right here in Mariana, uh, used to be our State Farm Bureau president at one time, uh, such great leaders. And Nathan's continuing that legacy, and I'm so glad he has a voice on your board of directors. Nathan is terrific, and Ramey Stiles, and, and Larry McClendon, and the Felton family. All the farmers here in, in the Mariana area have contributed so much uh, to help us tell the story of American cotton. And these farmers are amazing. They're doing the best things, and they are absolutely genuine in, in being able to communicate to these retailers and brands and others, many of whom come from all different parts of the United States, but they've never been on a farm. And their first farm experience is right here in Arkansas. So we're tremendously proud of that. And all of these farmers have done a great job in representing the state and in representing U.S. cotton producers. Mark, thank you for your time. I know we need to get back on the bus and finish up the tour today, but uh, thanks so much for visiting with us and coming to Arkansas all the time and bringing your, the officials with the cotton industry right back here to Arkansas. We're proud to host you. Thank you, Ken. It's always great to have the opportunity to come back. We look forward to doing that many times a year. All right. I've been speaking with Mark Masura with Cotton Incorporated out of North Carolina on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, Ken was on hand this week as Governor Asa Hutchinson proclaimed October Farm to School Month in Arkansas and recognized the 2019 Arkansas Grown School Garden of the Year. Afterward, he spoke to Sarah Lane, the newly appointed Farm to School Coordinator for the Arkansas Department of Agriculture, and Lacey Sullivan, a teacher at Pike View Early Childhood Center. I'm Ken Moore at the state capitol today, and we're celebrating Farm to School Month. Governor Asa Hutchison just proclaimed October as Farm to School Month in Arkansas. It is actually Farm to School Month nationwide, and we celebrate school gardens, the fact that children are learning how to grow their own food and produce, as well as the uh, program to try to connect local produce growers with schools across the state of Arkansas. And I'm with Sarah Lane, the state Farm to School Coordinator with the Arkansas Ag Department, and Miss uh, Lacey Sullivan, who is with the Pike View Early Childhood Center in North Little Rock, and they were just named by Governor Hutchinson as the School Garden of the Year. And so, uh, Lacey, what does this mean to you? I know the children are the ones responsible for it. They've learned how to grow their own food, but you have to be pleased that, uh, that you were named and recognized as having an outstanding school garden. Um, it's an honor to be here representing our children, our families, and the teachers, the volunteers, and all the hard work that they've put forth. Um, we also partner with Fellowship North of North Little Rock, and we couldn't have done this without them. 
So what are you teaching? How are you working with the children? Tell me about Pikeview. Uh, how many students are involved? Uh, the age limit, or age, you know, what ages are these children? And uh, how are you and your other, the ladies there, helping teach them about uh, good nutrition and growing their own food? Um, at Pikeview, we have three- and four-year-olds. We have um, 13 classes of 20 students, and it was a learning experience for me myself. I had never grown up around gardening, so I think it was very vital to learn with the children, and there were lots of difficulties, lots of starting over, lots of analyzing what worked and what didn't work, lots of problem-solving for the children to um, to learn, and then just the responsibility of itself of on rainy days going out, covered up to go feed our chickens or to go pull harvest our plants. It was just, it was the dedication and the responsibility shine through. What all do you have in your garden besides, I know you told me you have a poultry component to it. You're, you're collecting eggs, I think. And uh, just tell me about your garden itself. What all do you have? Um, our garden began, um, we started off with a few small plots and it has just evolved. Um, each class now is in charge of their own bed and the children get to pick what's planted. Um, sometimes the things, you know, it's a learning process. Sometimes the things they pick, we can try to steer them. Well, hey, you know, this this is not this season, but they learn through the trial and error. We have lettuce. We have carrots. Um, we've had strawberries. We had a pumpkin patch last year. We've just got a variety of fruits and vegetables in our garden. And like you said, you do have some chickens, so they get to see how uh, eggs are laid and learn about that process? Yes. we um, Our classes, we switch off week by week collecting eggs. We bring them back, and then we decide, okay, what are we going to do with these eggs? Um, the first, each year, they typically want to cook them. So they cook. we cook fried eggs, scrambled eggs, boiled eggs. We cook omelets. But the cool part is how that evolves. It goes into recipes. And then my group last year, they decided, well, could we just put them out and let the families have them? Or could parents sign up? So parents that were interested in the eggs would sign up and we would pull out on Friday to which family got half a dozen eggs or a dozen eggs and they actually took them home. They would send pictures and videos of them cooking with their eggs from school at home and sharing them with their families. And so three and four-year-olds, once they grow up and leave your school and move on to a higher level, they will have a good working knowledge and maybe they can go to a school that also has a school garden. How about that, Sarah? Uh, Sarah Lane, the Farm to School Coordinator with the Agriculture Department, uh, they start young like they can at Pikeview, and this continue on. I mean, it doesn't have to even stop in elementary school, right? doesn't have to at all, no. It can start in pre-K centers, early childhood, all the way up to colleges and universities. We see farm to school in high schools and middle schools. Um, we see them in juvenile detention centers. We see them in a range of places, um, and that's what's so great because it connects as many people as possible to farm to school and growing their own food. Yeah, and so, you know, what they're doing, what Lacey and the other ladies are doing at Pikeview, it gets them started young. They learn to, they love to dig in the dirt, don't they? They just love to get out there and dig in the dirt, plant the seeds, and watch things grow, see the food cycle, right? And they love taking their families. Um, on the pretty days, they go out and they show their families. And so I really feel like that trans, you know, translates a lot to the home life. The parents are like, my child doesn't like lettuce. And I'm like, well... We're, we're harvesting it and we're, they're eating it. And it's just the new things that they're learning and bringing home to their family. Sure. And I believe you, did you say you also have enough that you can make some food donations, I believe? or When we collect, if the children, um, they've eaten theirs or they've used their recipes, then they will, we'll have a table in the school that just says, you know, free produce, grab your own. We leave a few little bags and just try to be kind and safe, share with everyone. 
Well, congratulations again on the recognition today as having the School Garden of the Year, Lacey, and uh, we look forward to maybe visiting your school during the growing season next year and watching the whole process with you, okay? Alrighty, thank you. All right, Sarah, let's talk just a few more minutes about the Farm to School program itself. How successful do you hope to become in identifying these produce growers who can partner with our local schools? That's a great question. So, I mean, first off, just celebrating the fact that a position was created in the Department of Agriculture, um, the Farm to School Coordinator position that I'm in right now. So the Ag Department is making huge strides moving forward, and I see the fact that this is the first state-level position that we have doing Farm to School work, that we can really propel ourselves moving forward. It's super fitting that we're at the Department of Agriculture when we really need to connect local farmers with local schools and help bridge that gap right now that we're really seeing. And I, I see that a huge task of mine in my upcoming year. Yeah. Uh, some work was done before you assumed this position, uh, before the legislation was passed. This is not a brand-new effort in Arkansas. So do you have a little, uh, you know, the work that has been done, have you identified some farmers that you can kind of just pick up where they left off? Of course, yes. There are some great school districts across the state, like Fayetteville Public Schools, Conway Public Schools, who have been sourcing a lot of local foods, um, and a bunch of other school districts as well. And so a lot of those farmers are already primed and prepped and ready to source into schools. And where I see it now is is finding those newer school districts that are ready to increase their local food spending connect them to local farmers that are in their area. But you are totally correct. There are farmers across the state that um, are used to, to sourcing into schools, and we are going to just celebrate that and continue to promote that and encourage that, that sourcing. I identified uh, last year one school district in, uh, in Yale County, the Danville School District, uh, where they were obtaining strawberries from a grower in Alma. They were obtaining watermelons from a grower somewhere else. They were obtaining uh, fresh tomatoes from yet a third farmer. So it doesn't have to be all just one farm. You, they can identify, you know, local growers who have what they need and have enough uh, t- that they grow enough. And it really helps the farmers expand their production, doesn't it? It does. And it, it also is just the farmers can rely on the fact that the school district will purchase their produce. And so it gives them that economic security that they need and they can prepare to grow enough for schools, which some school districts are small, some are huge. And so finding the right amount of produce for those schools is where, where we're looking at a challenge and where we're looking at creating um, opportunities. Okay. One final question then as we kind of conclude this year and you kind of get settled in, uh, what type of promotion and and what's a word that you might have for our listeners especially our produce growers about how are you going to try to broaden uh, the growers knowledge about the program and the incentive for them to participate what can you do in 2020 in, in that area great question Yeah, first off, I think it's partnerships is where I'm looking right now. There are already great organizations beyond just the Department of Agriculture that are trying to support farmers with the produce safety that they might need, connecting them to places where they could aggregate their food, distributors. And so I think 2020 is about partnerships and making sure that everyone's at the table who needs to be at the table and we're supporting local farmers who then can support kids who want to eat nutritious food in their schools. Well, that's fantastic. Well, keep us in the loop here at Arkansas Farm Bureau, certainly. And we look forward to partnering with you to help get the word out. Thank you so much. been speaking with Sarah Lane, the newly appointed Farm to School Coordinator for the Arkansas Agriculture Department, and Ms. Lacey Sullivan, who is with Pikeview Early Childhood Center, representing the Arkansas School Garden of the Year here during Farm to School Month in Arkansas on Arkansas AgCast. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more interviews, updates, and news about Arkansas agriculture.